Hello and welcome to this week's message from Valley Church. Catch up on recent messages and find out what's happening in the life of church by heading to valleychurch.eu or follow us on social media. Enjoy the message. Anyway, the series is Truth That Set Us Free. Galatians 5 verse 1 says that Jesus is the truth and he will set us free. It's a freedom that he has come for us. And we absolutely believe that the Bible is the book that will help us live amazing lives. And uh, because God loves us, God made us, God is wisdom and knowledge. And if every being in the entire universe, he's God of everything, has authority over all, and he just knows how we can live our lives the best way. Um, I spoke about it. It's on our webpage, the authority of Scripture and why it's so important for us. I want as it will go through my message, but just to say that we believe that this book is the Word of God, and it has authority both for us, but also for the whole world in how to live our lives well. And the closest, the closer we are as individuals, or more importantly as families and societies to this book, the more our societies will work and will live blessed and wholesome lives. I was uh, <clears throat> just looking on the BBC website this morning, as I often do, just to keep up with the news, and noticed a few things. I noticed that there's been two boys killed overnight in London, which is bad, right? And noticed that uh, there's many strikes going on, because we all deserve more money, right? Oh, I see nobody dared me that in church. There they go, no, no, that's called greed. But, uh, but actually, all of you in your heart believe that you deserve more money for the hours you put in, right? That's, that's probably not true for all of you. And um, there's some, there's some uh, demonstrations in China. They had a terrible fire in a, an apartment block, and um, 10 people got killed there. And uh, the protesters are saying maybe it's down to lockdown, because they were still in lockdown. Would you believe it? They're still in lockdown. Um, there was, there's a Navy chief who's defending the handling of rape allegations, and there's a self-harm Sorry, an online bill coming and self-harm content is going to be criminalized on such a thing. And these are all things that we go, you know, the bad that needs doing. Because every single person, every single human being has inside them this idea that there's right and wrong, right? People getting killed is wrong, right? People, people do deserve payment for their, for their labor. I mean, we can argue how much, but we believe people should get paid. It should be enough for them to be able to live, right? And then we can have the discussion about how much that is as well. But, but, the, but the principle stands. We think self-harm content should be excluded from social media sites. Because why? Because it, 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 it stops people copying and all the harm that that can cause. Inside every human being, there is this kind of sense of justice, of right and wrong. Why? Well, we believe because God made it that way. God, as he put the image of him on us in Genesis uh, chapters 2 and 3, this image that was stamped on us has this sense of justice. And it's, it's good. John Lennon sang a song, didn't he? Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. And this is the kind of idea that would be perfect. But that's not perfect. That's awful. We need a God. We need a sense of right and wrong. And uh, all of us, every single human being gets cross at certain things that happen to them or their families or other communities. And it's not necessarily a good thing. It's often a right thing. And um, today I want to have a look 
at two topics which are linked. As you know, we're going through the Truth Will Say You Free series and we've looked at all sorts of different subjects. Today we're going to have a look at social justice and identity politics. Social justice and identity politics. And uh, Hope Lancaster, like here, you see, South Preston are brilliant at writing notes, aren't you guys? Look at them, all the notebooks now, all your phones out. And I hope you've got your notebook. You're going to need your notebook, you really are. Because we're looking at social justice and identity. Social justice, which is defined roughly as justice or equality in terms of distribution of wealth, opportunities, or privilege within a society. And how to address or readdress things when they are not equal or not seemingly to be just. So that's... A rough definition of how we think of social justice. Identity politics is, is actually about the identity of the individual. The idea that we as human beings are, are identified, at least in part, if not quite heavily, by our social or economic factors. So you're defined by, as it were, your class, your race, your gender, your sexuality, things like that define who we are. Right? So I'm talking about definitions. I'm not talking whether I agree with them or not, right? I'm just talking about definitions. Um, and that these identities that we are impact and cause problems in our lives now because of history. I.e., an uncontroversial statement, if you're born in a poor background, in poverty, it's very hard to get on and make yourself better, okay? So, that's the idea of identity politics. Now, I could say all sorts of things about it, but what I want to do this morning is give you a framework to figure it out. Okay? I don't want to go into details. I will make odd comments at the end, but I want to give you a framework which will help you personally figure it out. It's why I really want to encourage you to make notes. Or if not, just switch your, your very good memory on so you can remember the things I want to teach you this morning. Before I do that, I'll just pray. Father, thank you that you are the King of justice, that you are Lord of all. And we thank you that there is in eternity justice. It's why following you is a pleasure for us. You know that in all things, things will come to pass that are right and true and just. Father, I pray this morning, help us to hear your voice. Help us to listen to what you want to teach us individually. And Father, I pray if there's any here or at Lancaster who don't know you, Father, I pray, reveal yourself to them and their need of you. And Father, may they, at the end, put their hand up and say, God, I want to follow you as my Lord and my Savior, as my friend, in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so I want to give you a biblical framework. There's quite a few points. Hopefully the tech guys have got it all sorted. It's all good. Look at that. Ollie's really happy. So I want to give you nine points as a framework. Ready? Nine points. Number one, they're all we believes. We believe in forgiveness. We believe in forgiveness. Colossians 3, 12. If you guys can... Oh, are you doing the verses as well or just the points? Um, Colossians 3... If you beat me, I'll just read it off the screen. Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14, says the following. Ah, there we go. 
Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So we believe in forgiveness. Matthew 18, the disciples asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Should it be seven times? And Jesus says, no, 77 times or 70 times, seven times, basically forever. And then he tells the story of the parable of the unmerciful servant, where this, the master forgives people's debts beyond measure, and we're called to do the same. So we believe in forgiveness as Christians, right? Number two, we believe in grace, i.e. unmerited favor. In Matthew chapter 5, I think Jesus sums up what this looks like in reality. Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, beginning to read at verse 43. It says this. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteousness. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Not even the tax collectors are doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's this idea that we give grace to everybody, including those we would count as our enemies people that we don't like, the people that are different to us, foreign to us, we give them grace. We offer them unmerited favor as Christians. Number three, we believe in impartiality. We believe in impartiality. Leviticus 19 verse 15 says the following. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. Note there, you should neither prefer the poor or the rich. It should be justice for both. There isn't Justice without justice for everybody isn't justice at all. It just isn't. This is what the Bible teaches. Um, and... Not just rich and poor, but also uh, maybe people that we don't kind of relate to. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 14, verse, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 17 to 18 says this. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice, or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. And then Moses says why. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. This is why I command you to do this. Basically, we're not supposed to just give just to the people who are like us. We're supposed to give justice to all. Okay? It doesn't, it doesn't matter their belief system, what they've done to us. Everybody deserves justice. We are impartial in our understanding of justice. And you could say in honesty as well within that. Number four, we believe people are innocent Unproven, until proven, guilty. Deuteronomy 19 verse 15 talks about 
about this. It says, one witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense that they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of, of two or three witnesses. 1 Timothy 5 verse 19 says, do not entertain an accusation against an elder. But that could be, as it were, taken to mean anybody. I know an, an elder has a particular function, but the the, the the, the instruction stands that we should not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's confirmed by two or three or more witnesses. Unless there's evidence. The Bible teaches that people are innocent of crimes unless there's evidence against them. It's really important. That's number four. Number five. Number five is this. We believe that each person is responsible for his or her own sin and guilt. We believe each person is responsible for his or her own sin or guilt. Again, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16, it says this. Parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. Ezekiel spells this out. Clearly, Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 19 says the following yet to ask why does the son not share the guilt of his father since the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to keep all my decrees he will surely live the one who sins is the one who will die the child will not share the guilt of the parents nor will the parents share the guilt of the child the righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. So we don't believe that sin goes through generations. We believe that each person is responsible for their own sin, for their own wrongdoing, and that each person can then be righteous or sinful depending on what they do and particularly how they respond to Jesus. Number six, we believe in living in peace with one another. We believe in living in peace with one another. Hebrews 12 verse 14 is kind of the classic text for this. And I'll read it out to you when I get it. So it's this, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one can see the Lord. Matthew 5, verse 38, kind of, again, gives us some uh, understanding of what this might look like. It says this, Matthew 5, verse 38, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them to the other cheek also. And if anybody wants you, uh, wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Hence the phrase, go an extra mile for somebody. It's straight from the Bible. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So this idea that we will strive to live in peace, not in war against each other. Number seven. Not saying all these are easy to live by, right? I'm just saying this is what the Bible teaches. Yeah? Got that in Lancaster? Just want to say Lancaster, really enjoyed being with you guys last weekend. It was it was cool to be with you. Anyway, number seven. We believe in respecting and submitting to authorities and rulers. We believe in respecting and submitting to 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 the authorities and to the rulers that are over us. Romans 13, 
The writer of Romans says this, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Why? Because he's sovereign. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority... Remember, they were writing this in the middle of the Roman occupation. An authority they didn't like. They hated them. This is not somebody who's living in a nice, peaceful England. This is living in a horrible Roman where you can get killed for anything, dragged to be part of the army, to take the army rations and stuff wherever they wanted. They were under subjection. Okay, Helps you give you a bit of context. This is not a guy who didn't know what he's talking about. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but only for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For, for, the, one authority is God's, for the one in authority is God's servant for good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear their sword for no reason. They are God's servants, ages of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. There it is necessary to submit to authorities, not only because of the possibility of punishment, that's kind of me with speeding, right? Anyway, um, but also as a matter of, cons- of, of conscience. So we should do it because it's the right thing to do. Now, there are exceptions to that, and if I had time, we'd have a look at Acts chapter 4, verses 18 to 20, when the apostles were told not to preach the gospel, And they say we can't do that to the authorities because we have to follow the commands of God. So there is exceptions, but they are exceptions. They're not the rule, right? They're exceptions. It might happen very occasionally, but generally not. We're supposed to respect and honor those that God has placed over us, be they good or, in our opinion, bad. Number eight, we believe people are responsible for working hard and providing for themselves. This is a Christian principle, a Christian belief that we have responsibilities to work hard and provide for ourselves and for our families. And the idea in Scripture is you then have enough to then you can bless others, you can help the poor and those in trouble. So that's, that's, this is the general Christian idea. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. says the following, whatever you do, work heartily or well as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And then 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10 says this, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Brutal but scriptural. I've shared this with a few non-Christians. They go, really? The Bible says that? Yes. You should be willing to do work to actually earn the basics of life and um, handouts are things that we use when we have no other option. Otherwise, we should be hard at work earning our own crust, so to speak. And number nine, I've gone through these super fast. I hope this is okay, and you've got them all down. I wanted to give you the completest framework I could give, because this is a really big cultural issue. And I want you to be well-equipped to go, right, this is what Scripture says. This is a framework. Number nine, we believe that our ultimate riches are in heaven, not on earth. And this is huge for Christians. Involved in the social justice world, we, we actually believe the big riches are in heaven, right? They're not here 
Matthew 6, which I know many of you will know well, but I'll read it out anyway. Matthew 6, verse 19. It says the following, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that was a, a rapid, <laughs> very rapid, as it were, overview of some principles to do with social justice and identity politics. With that laid, I just want to make a few very minor comments on these two areas. Firstly, to do with social justice. Remember the definition that I gave you when I find my piece of paper. Social justice, justice or, or equality in terms of distribution of wealth, opportunities, and privileges within a society. And then it looks at how to address or readdress things that are not equal or not seemingly to be just. The first thing I want to say is some of these aims are very good. They are very good. Um, we are called to help those that are poor, oppressed, and less privileged. I uh, went out to India a few months ago and walked on some of the slums uh, with some business guys and encouraged them with their businesses and us personally, and us as a church, to help those in need. I think as Christians, both individually, that's why we have compassion children, that's why we do various things both abroad and at home, the uh, hope for justice and things like that. Why? Because it's, it's important as Christians that we get involved in it. Micah 6, verse 8, says, I don't know why I'm looking these up. You can find them far faster at the back. Have you found it? Micah 6, I'm going to beat you. Micah 6, verse 8. It says the following. He has shown you all, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So there's this idea that it's, it's good. There are things we should get involved in. For sure, we should be helping the poor. Again, we can debate what poor looks like. We should be helping the oppressed. Got to debate what oppressed looks like. We should be helping those who have less opportunities. Because people do. And as individuals in a church, we should be helping them. But my second comment is this. As Christians, we are called to help them through our beliefs and our convictions, not the world's beliefs or their convictions. So our standpoint is what does the Bible teach us on how we do it and how we respond to it, not what's the world telling us that we should be doing or should not be doing. And, um, and the world shouting loudly, church. And I want to encourage you to go back to these scriptural principles. I list nine. There will be others as well, but I kind of tried to pick the top nine. Keep it limited. Not that limited, I know, but a little bit limited. And it's, but, but, it, but it means this. Our view will be different from the world's. Okay? 
so we won't line up completely with the social justice ideas and concepts of the world. They will and should look different as a Christian. They just should, because we're basing it on God's instruction, not what the secular world is trying to teach us or tell us. And it will mean, whether you like it or not, there will be a little bit of conflict, probably, when we talk about it. Again, it's why I've given you principles, so that you know why, and you can explain why it's important uh, that we do things the way we think they should be done. It would also help you, I hope, understand a little, is why we do things around here the way we do as well. Because we, wanna, we do want to help those who are poor and oppressed and less privileged for sure, but we want to do it according to what God would tell us to do, not what the world would teach us that we should do. That may not help you, but that's just a couple of comments on that. And then a couple of comments on identity politics. Again, remember the, the definition. The idea that we are defined, our identity at least, to some extent or not to some greater extent, is by, a social, or, or, is by social or economic factors. Class, race, gender, sexuality, etc., etc. And that, for some, or if not all, of these classes, this is causing problems here and now because of historic Factors, i.e. things that happened in the past are impacting things now. Well, the first thing I want to say is this. It's true. Our background does impact our future. I mean, we would be foolish as Christians not to agree with that, because it's true, right? For those of us, and I would count myself one, who come from a very stable background, family-wise, without lack of resource to do things, and living in a very stable country, gives me a good start, a good platform. It's true, right? There's no point denying the obvious. It's true, it does. It's, it's true. So let's not deny it. Um, secondly, I want to say, but that does not identify who we are. As a Christian, our identity, and Claire talked about this, I will only briefly mention it, and again, her message, All Being Well, will be on our website. Our identity is primarily found in God and what Jesus did on the cross. Right? This is who we are as Christians. We're children of God. We have heaven's resources at our fingertips. And it means this, Christian, you are privileged by definition. It doesn't matter about your background, your race, your culture, your sexuality. Anything you want to mention, if you are God's kid, will have heaven's resources and the Holy Spirit power living in you, you are blessed and we are privileged. We have something amazing given to us and within us that we should celebrate at all times. And that should be our primary identity that swamps any other identity that we might have. The third thing I want to say, it's perhaps the only controversial thing, I'm going to say is, although our backgrounds do affect us, they only have limited effect. They only have limited effect. They don't necessarily restrict everything. And we know this to be true. Best example at the moment is we have a, an Indian heritage prime minister. His family came across two generations ago with nothing, and with two generations with hard work, he's become our prime minister. 
Now, I know there's, some, there's probably some reasons why as well to do with that, but it doesn't need to limit us. And um, it might hinder us, but it doesn't need to limit us. Okay? And we need to be a people that believe that. Right? People have a choice. People, our children, our young people have choices. Our 20-year-olds have choices. They might make good ones or bad ones, but they're not pre-programmed. The Bible says that we have a free will to choose. And I know there's some people have a greater propensity to do certain things for certain reasons, but it doesn't give them an excuse. Because none of us have an excuse for the sin within us. I know we all sin, but God holds us accountable as one responsible. Otherwise, why would he ever send Jesus to the cross to die for us if we had no choice? Because if we had no choice, we wouldn't be responsible. And therefore, Jesus' death was a waste of time and a very hard thing for his son to go through for no apparent reason. Does that make sense? So it might hinder us, but it doesn't limit us our background. I just wanted to share those three things. I want to conclude by telling you the big thing in life that's bigger than social justice or identity politics, and that's the gospel. The greatest thing that we give anybody is not a helping hand, not some money, not some education. The greatest thing we give anybody is Jesus. And we must never forget that. So there's nothing wrong in getting involved in some of these causes and doing certain things as long as you follow the Bible, for sure. But if you forget the greatest gift that we give is Jesus, you're probably missing the mark. You've probably forgotten really what you're called to do as a Christian. We're called to go and make disciples. We're called to, to, to help people see that they are sinful and they do need a savior in his name is Jesus. Jesus is the big deal. And the gospel is the big deal. And that might help you understand why we work with sin. Christian organizations, and all of them have churches or are involved in churches. Why? Because we want to help them get out of their poverty, give them opportunity, everything else should we do. But we want to make sure that every person gets to hear the gospel message about Jesus. Why? Because in the end, our riches are stored in heaven and not on earth. And as you get involved, and I hope you do, I hope you give, and I hope you do some things. Remember scripture, the principles are shared, and others you might pick up along the way. But also remember the big deal is Jesus. It's a gospel and people's eternity being set free, being given to them because of what Jesus did on the cross. Well, I'm going to pray. Now I'll hand back to Michelle and uh, she will sort it out. So let's pray. Lancaster, if you close your eyes, let's just all close our eyes here as well. Father, we thank you first and foremost again for Jesus. Help us never to forget what you've done for us and who you are, the love that you've shown us. Whatever we do in life, whether involved in social justice things or our lives, families, you are the biggest thing in our lives. And Father, I pray for us as we do go and we do help the poor, those who are disenfranchised, those who are underprivileged, those who just lack opportunities. Father, help us to do it diligently and well. Help us to use our resources wisely. You said there's always be poor amongst us. So therefore, Father, we need to help some. And I know we'll never solve it all, God, but help us to do something towards it. And Father, I pray for those who have certain views and opinions that aren't scriptural. Maybe here, maybe in Lancaster, 
as they consider some of those principles are laid out in their hearts. When I don't agree with that, Father, I pray. God, I pray. Speak to them gently. Speak to them quietly. Convict them, Father, that you do know better than we do. And if we follow your principles, life works. All of life works. Works as communities, works as families, works as individuals. Life just works. And God, convince me of that, that they may walk in your ways, in your ways alone, and enter into your blessing, all that you have for them, for those that they love, and for those that they serve. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. If you've been impacted by it and would like to respond by choosing to follow Jesus, we'd love to help you to do that. One of our pastors would love to be in touch with you. Why not email response at valleychurch.eu or head to valleychurch.eu forward slash next steps to discover more. We're so excited for your future. Be blessed.